So I, re- I read this story this week. Uh, there, there was no question he loved her. He was absolutely bedazzled by her. Surprising, really, because she was plain, maybe even, well, you know, to someone else perhaps disappointing. But then he himself was a poor man who didn't have even two coins to rub together. He wasn't especially handsome either, but he was good, a good and godly man, and he swept her off her feet and won her heart. And what makes this ordinary story extraordinary is the rest of the story. The the story was told by uh, Soren Kierkegaard, and it actually begins like this. Suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. He was a great king, and he could have whatever he wanted. Every statesman feared his wrath, and every foreign state trembled before his power. They would have all sent ambassadors to the wedding. He realized that if he asked his courtiers to say, or they they would say, your majesty is about to confer a favor upon the maiden for which she can never sufficiently never be sufficiently grateful her whole life long. That was the problem. Even if she wanted to come with him, he would never know for certain if she would have loved him for himself, so he wrestled with his troubled thoughts alone. Finally, he decided, if she could not come up to his high station to be sure to love him freely, he must descend to hers. He must descend, stripped of his royal power and wealth, And for then, would he know if his beloved loved him freely as equals? So he laid aside all his power and privileges and came to her as his equal to win her love. Now, last time we we looked at the uh, the blessings that we have in Christ and the uh, responsibilities as well, the uh, the expectations that, that we would have unity together and that that we would have humility and we left off with this command have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus and that's where I'd like to pick up again today with that verse the reason being that uh, this is kind of part two of, of that sermon and this is this really is the key verse this is the key verse to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And we need to take a deep, profound look at Jesus. And we need to look at the exquisite humility that that he uh, demonstrated in his first coming. You know, humility and and unity are very much sought after by, by our Lord Jesus. And it seems like these are things that, that are elusive to us. You know, these are, these are things that we know we need, but as soon as we think we've got it, 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 it seems to uh, slip away. Something happens that uh, shows us that we're, we're still stuck in our pride. Maybe somebody says something to us that, that insults us, and our, vis- our visceral reaction is to uh, defend ourselves, Right? Or maybe we're offended by something that somebody does and our response is to put up a fight. You know, to put them in their place. 
So, you know, could it, could it be that we do these things because we're so good and well-practiced at, at these things? Maybe they just come natural to us now. And uh, maybe you don't have these issues. If, if not, uh, praise God. Please pray for those of us who do. So we need to reflect on, on who we are. Going back to what Paul said earlier, we need to we need to be who we are in Christ. We need to be who we are, our, our identity. If we've received the Lord as our Savior, we are Christians. We are people who are in Christ. We need to be worthy of the gospel, living worthy of the gospel. And since we are in Christ, we have every resource that we need. We have everything we need to, to, do, the, to do these things, to be overcomers in this area. So read with me this morning in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look at our example, our example who is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our, he's our source. He's the one who enables us to, to do this. So starting with verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, In Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Lord, I pray that uh, we embrace this truth, Lord, that uh, we are in you and that you are our example and our source, Lord. We thank you for coming as one of us, for going low in order to show us the the love that you have and to make the uh, supreme sacrifice that you did in Jesus' name. So, you know, it's easy for us to have a faulty view of Christ we look at the history of the uh, Christian church, we, we see it happening again and again. And, uh, you know, the point of this sermon is that we, we need to have Christ's attitude, just like Paul says. And uh, we begin by looking at who he is. We need to have Christ's attitude, knowing who he is. You know, this is, a, this is an amazing uh, Christological passage. It's something that tells us a lot about Jesus Christ. Uh, One of the important questions, probably one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And this is where the cults get it wrong. Uh, If if you look at the, the belief of the cults, the identity of Jesus is always somehow not lined up with with the scripture 
you know, some end up with a, a Jesus who is a mere human, just a man. Others end up with a Jesus who is not a man at all, but is just uh, a God, is just God, but uh, maybe just appears has the illusion of, of being a man. There are a lot of variants on these. And as we look back in the, uh, the history of the, the Christian church, we see that uh, many of these wrong ideas were embraced. And uh, I'd like to do, to, to start out with, I would, I would like to do a brief overview of some of the mistakes that have been made, some of the uh, Christological heresies. These go way back in history, but all of these are actually alive and well in one way or another. And I'd like to talk first about what, what is meant by this word heresy. It's, it's a Greek word. The word is often uh, thrown around pretty loosely. You know, sometimes Christians will call heresy just something that they don't agree with. The word is uh, the Greek word heresis. And uh, the, the simple, in the simplest meaning, it just means sect. This word in the uh, book of Acts is used to refer to the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees. And it's translated the uh, sect of the Pharisees or the sect of the Sadducees. Later on, though, this, this word took on a uh, more specific meaning. It is talking about a, a distinctly wrong way of thinking about critical issues about God. Peter uses this word in 1 Peter 2, 1. It says, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. There's the word. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now, in the first few hundred years of the Christian church, a lot of individuals would, would pop up who were really trying to uh, get, get a grasp of who God was, who Jesus was, and they would come up with a way of describing it, a way of describing Jesus, a way of describing God. Many of these views were influenced by pagan philosophies, as a result, uh, many of these teachings, well, all of these heretical teachings were, were condemned and rejected by the church. There were several uh, church-wide councils that were convened where representatives of, of the churches all over would, would come together and kind of debate and, and hash out these things and you know, determine why these heresies are wrong, why they're not scriptural, and come up with uh, statements which state the truth. These are called creeds. Some of the uh, most uh, famous ones are the, uh, the Nicene Creed and the uh, Chalcedonian Creed, which define the Trinity and define Christ. These creeds are statements of faith, just like the statement of faith that we have in the uh, evangelical free Church of America. You know, they're, they're statements on the essential beliefs of the, uh, the Christian faith. And so I'd like to look at a few of these just to kind of give you an overview. This, 
this is really a, a bird's eye view. We could, we could spend a lot of time talking about each one of these, but I'm not going to do that. There is a group called the Docetists who taught that Jesus only appeared to be human, but he really wasn't human in reality. The, the, the church declared that the Lord Jesus Christ was, was perfect in manness, truly man, uh, consubstantial with us. He's of the same substance with us. The Samosatian adoption has said that Jesus was a man who at some point, because God saw how good he was and how righteous he was, God decided to adopt him as his son. The Sibelians taught that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are just three different modes or, or aspects of God. You know, that at times God the Father reveals himself. It's at, this, at another time, God reveals himself as the Son. At another time, God reveals himself as God the Holy Spirit, but not three persons. You can see how these people were really wrestling with how do we think of God? The Arians claimed that God, that Jesus was not eternal, that, that he was a created being, that at some point after there was a, a time when he was not, he became. The Apollinarians claimed that in one person, Jesus Christ had a uh, human body, but not a human mind and spirit. So they said that, Jesus had a man's body, but his spirit was God's, not not of the same substance or being. Let's see. The uh, Nestorians taught that uh, there were two separate persons in Jesus, that he had kind of a, a split personality, a human person and, and a divine person. The Eutychians caught that, uh, taught that Christ had one nature only, a human nature that was absorbed into a uh, divine nature so that it was kind of a hybrid man-God nature. And these were all, I think, serious and, and even maybe, maybe right-minded views were defi- uh, deemed to be deficient by the church. None of them quite line up. And, uh, you know, we're not going to go over the, these creeds that I talked about, the Nicene or the Chalcedonian creeds, but uh, we do have a statement from the Evangelical Free Church of America, which is very brief and, and concise, and I put, I put it in the notes. Let's, let's look at that. This, this is really a very good statement. It says, we believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person and two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our priest and advocate. Now, this this passage in, in Philippians gives us some good insight into who Jesus was. There are other 
passages also. You might just want to take note of these and, and go to them later on your own time. The first chapter of John, the first chapter of, of Colossians in particular. Well, why is this important to us? You know, this just isn't a, a lecture giving you information about councils and creeds and, and so forth. Why is it important to us? Because it matters what we believe in God. It matters what we believe about Jesus. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about God. You know, God revealed himself in Christ. Look at uh, the first chapter of Hebrews as well. If we don't know Christ, we don't know God. If our view of Christ is is deficient, we are living in a a fantasy world. And our view of of why he came and how his work affects us is going to be lacking. If, If Jesus was a mere human, how could he save us? If If he was not a human, he uh, he would be deluded. How could we take any of these claims seriously? If he wasn't God, then you know he he would perhaps be a deceiver because he claimed deity. He claimed to be God. If he was not a man, some sort of phantom, uh, how could he? relate to our temptation and, and our suffering. You know, it would just be kind of a pretend thing. You know, these are these are things that people wrestle with. You know, false religions, false schools of thought have, have grown up around wrong thinking about Jesus. A uh, couple, couple big examples. Mormonism, which is very large, has become very prominent, teaches that Jesus is one of many gods, many millions of gods, and that just as Jesus was, just as the Father was, we are now and, and we, are, we, we can become gods and have our own planets that we would populate. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, came up with their own so-called translation of the Bible to prove that Jesus wasn't God, that he was just a god. With a, with a small g, that Jesus is the archangel Michael. You know, we could go on and on, but, you know, one of the, one of the tests of, of a cult is how they view Jesus, who they think he is. And one problem that we have in the church sometimes is that they will, they will present their teaching in a way that looks very close, but they won't reveal their, their true teaching on Jesus. You know, we need, this is important to us because we need to learn how to recognize uh, something that's false. When I, when I was in the Air Force one time, we, our, our shop, we, as a fundraiser, we worked in a uh, baseball stadium. This was in Omaha. We were selling you know, nachos and drinks and stuff like that. And as we were, Taking in money, this this one guy gave me a twenty dollar bill, and it just didn't feel right in, in my hand. I don't know if you've ever felt a counterfeit bill, but the you know the real real money has a certain feel to it. It has kind of a, a 
rough coarseness to it almost that this $20 bill didn't have. It was real smooth. You know, it just felt like a regular paper. It looked really good, but, you know, from being used to how real money feels, I could tell right away that it was counterfeit. We need, we need to have a good recognition of what truth is. That's why we need to know this. This, uh, this heresy was, even in the very early church, even when the New Testament was being written, was, was a problem. If we look at Colossians 2, 8 through 10, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. So this, this passage gives us a really good picture of Christ. A really good picture of the, the truth of Christ in his first coming. So we need to have Christ's attitude, knowing who he is. And then next, going low like him. Jesus was pre-existent. It says here he was in the form of God. This is where one of those creeds says he was the same substance as God. He was co-equal with God. But it says he did not count uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does this mean? It almost sounds strange. A thing to be grasped. Uh, The word translated a thing to be grasped is something that only shows up in the New Testament one time, right here. It's also found, though, in the uh, the Old Testament Septuagint, the, the Greek translation. It's uh, defined as something to which one can claim or assert title by gripping or grasping. And there are a lot of examples I think we could come up to use or come up with to uh, illustrate this. You know, the, the story at the beginning of, of the sermon, you know, talks about this king who just became a, a normal guy for the, for the one he loved. You know, the picture is the church, his people. He willingly laid down his, his status as king to become this normal guy for the one he loved. He willingly laid it down to do this. He, uh, he didn't make demands that he could have. He became a common man. Yeah, I was thinking about different ways in which I see people uh, using their position or, or their status to gain special treatment. Uh, I, I remember one assignment in the Air Force, uh, me and this other guy named Kendall, we were the same rank, we showed up at the same time, we worked together. I had my section, he had his section. Well, Kendall liked people to know his rank. Uh, he he liked to assert his rank in ways that really showed a lot of disregard for the uh, people who worked for him, people who were of a lesser rank. If he if he was to drop a pencil on the ground, he would expect that somebody else would come behind him and pick that up for him. You know, he was he was self serving, and he had the expectation that others would serve him as well. Uh, 
I tried to take a different tact. You know, I would I would spend time hanging out with with the people who worked for me, getting to know them. You know, showing showing them honor if if uh, they needed to work all night to solve a problem, I didn't have to be there with them all the time. But sometimes I would, you know, come in at two or three in the morning with, with a pizza for, for the crew. You get the idea. The, uh, the other guy, Kendall, was not a servant. He expected everybody else to be a servant. You know, this this isn't a perfect analogy. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not compare, <laughs> comparing myself with Christ. But, you know, I, in the same way, I believe I did not consider my rank something to be grasped, something where I was exerting it, you know, waving it around, demanding to, to be served. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. You know, he's not God the Father. He's God the Son. And he didn't flash around his status when he walked on earth. He didn't go around demanding special privileges. He took out a towel and washed the feet of of his disciples who themselves would probably never want to do that for each other. He didn't demand special privileges. He could have, though. I think I think his disciples were quite surprised sometimes when he didn't do this. They they expected that uh, that he should. There's there's a f- story that kind of makes me laugh and cringe at the same time. In in Luke Luke nine fifty one through fifty six, it says, "When the days drew near for him to be taken up, taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him." who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for them. But the people didn't receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And he turned and rebuked them. They went on to another village. And most of us are familiar with, with that song that uh, says that he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. Speaking of when he was crucified, he could have called 10,000 angels, but what? He died for you and me. He died alone for you and me. Jesus voluntarily laid down his, his rights. He laid down his divine prerogative. He wasn't powerless. He didn't lack status. He didn't lack rank as God. But he chose, nonetheless, to be one of us, to set that aside. He didn't didn't come as a powerful king on a white steed to rescue Israel from the oppressive Roman Empire. That's what they wanted. That's what they expected. But he didn't do that. There's there's another song by uh, Audrey Assad. It's a, it's a Christmas song, in fact. In fact, this passage is, is very frequently used as a, a Christmas sermon because it talks about Jesus coming in humility and weakness and smallness. The song goes like this. 
could have come like a mighty storm with all the strength of a hurricane. You could have come like a forest fire with the power of heaven in your flame. But you came like the winter snow, quiet and soft and slow, falling from the sky in the night to the earth below. Goes on to say, you could have swept in like a tidal wave or an ocean to ravish our hearts. You could have come through like a roaring flood to wipe away the things we've scarred. And, you know, that, that verse, that refrain plays again. But do you see what he's doing with what she's doing with this song? You know, it kind of reminds me of that story that we have in uh, 1 Kings 19 uh, with, with Elijah. Remember that? It says, The Lord passed by. A great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, that still small voice. You know, that's how that's how Jesus came. He came as a baby in a in a manger in an insignificant town. You know, he, he took years to to grow up. He he subjected himself in obedience to his parents. You know, Paul's Paul says here, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself. This, this by the way, is the main verb. This, all of the other verbs that follow this are subordinate to, to this one. They they demonstrate how Jesus emptied himself. But let's look at this first phrase. He, he emptied himself. The, the Greek word for empty is kenosis. Some of you might be familiar with that. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And this word for servant is doulos. Paul used the same word in the first verse to describe himself. He says, I'm a slave of Christ. Now he's saying that Jesus came as a slave. He's born in the likeness of men, uh, being found in the human form, you know, becoming one of us. He was fully man, also fully God. Again, this is, just isn't knowledge. This is the basis for, for our action. You know, it's, this is important so that we know how to live the Christian life. Remember the key imperative that Paul gave us in verse 5. You know, this is how we're to apply to our lives this knowledge that we're given of Christ. You know, have this mind among yourself, yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this this attitude that Jesus had is the same attitude that we need to share among ourselves. Why? Because we're in him. It's it's ours. Jesus humbled himself. He he laid down his rights. Are we are we able to do this ourselves? 
This this really flies in the, the face of our, our natural tendencies, does it not? You know, I think we've been we've been conditioned to demand our rights and not lay them down for others. And uh, really, what what a bunch of self deceived people we are if if we are people who think that we should be different from from our Lord Jesus. This this passage is a, is a great piece of theological truth. It really is. I'm, I'm awestruck when I awestruck when I realize the depth of love that Jesus Christ had for us. I'm amazed that He would have done this for us. Uh, you know that He would come as a suffering servant. That He would allow Himself to be ridiculed and tortured and, and murdered. And he did it for us. But the point of this passage really is to point us to him and say, this is the attitude we need to have because we are in him. This is how we need to treat others. This is very practical theology. This is not just theoretical. You know, this is something we can really gain from. The gain to be had in understanding this passage is that we need to be transformed by the truth of who Christ is. We need to be transformed because we are in him. This is who we need to be, both as individuals and as a church, as a body. So as, as we look at Jesus, we can, we can gaze with, with amazement. You know, he suffered and died, but he also rose from the dead. Yeah, we can't leave him on the cross uh, he did this not just to live out his years and, and die an old man. You know, he, after, after he rose, he wasn't really here that much longer. What happened? He, he ascended to heaven. He, uh, he came to us. He brought himself very low. But then it says God exalted him very high. He's at the right hand of the Father. So as we, as we build this main point, we need to have Christ's attitude, knowing who he is, going low like him, and being exalted like him. God highly exalted him. You know, and that was a result of his going to the depths. It says, therefore, God has lifted him to the highest elevation, and he's now in his, his rightful place. God has bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Um, This name above every name, Paul doesn't say what it is really explicitly here and there's some discussion in the commentaries. Well, what what is this name? But in the Old Testament... uh, what is the name that God gives to himself? Yahweh. Yahweh, I am, is what that means. It's, it's the name God gave to Moses when Moses said, you know, who shall I say sent me? And in the Septuagint, Yahweh is translated into the Greek word kurios, which is translated Lord, and that's the word that Paul's using here. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
I would say we could make a good case that this is a, a very direct statement that Jesus is God, Yahweh. You know, the emphasis is that he will be exalted above all. The entire creation will acknowledge him as Lord, as God. This is a hugely significant name. Paul in Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, same word, curios, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Uh, no created thing exists that he did not create. Uh, and you know, there are a lot of people who don't believe in him, but it says here that there's a time coming when everybody will bow and have to acknowledge that he is Lord. No one will be able to deny that he is. So back to the big principle here for us. Uh, let's look at First Peter 5, 5 through 6. Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I think this is in line with the, the principle of give and it will be given unto you. If we're, if we're greedy for status, if we seek to elevate ourselves above others, which, by the way, is our natural tendency, you know, it's called what? It's called pride. How does God see pride? He, the answer is he opposes it. Uh, actually, it goes as far as to say that he it's the proud person himself or herself that, that God opposes. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't really want to be in a position where I think God is opposing me. <laughs> I, I would much rather uh, be a, a recipient of his grace. Self-exaltation self is much inferior to being exalted by God. You see the parallel. Jesus went low for us. And as a result, it says, therefore God exalted him. And we have that promise that the same will be for us. If we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. Big difference between self-exaltation and God-exaltation. As, as we close here, you know, our, our lives have been forever chain, changed by this Jesus who came for us. He laid aside his, his privileges, his divine prerogative. He emptied himself. He became one of us, suffered, became obedient to death, despised, debased, He suffered at the hands of those he came to save. Uh, he didn't have to, that's for sure, but he did. He did it for us. 
So Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this same self-sacrificing attitude that he had, motivated by love, an attitude of a servant, an attitude of obedience, an attitude of, of submission, just like his. And it's because of the glorified Christ that we have the Holy Spirit to empower us to give us the ability to, to actually do this. We, we cannot do any of this on our own. We, we fail miserably when we try, but it's ours in Christ. Again, this isn't theoretical. This isn't impossible. It's ours in Christ, and we need to live it. Pray with me. Um, Lord Jesus, how, how can we come to you in any way, any other way except by humility? Uh, Lord, let us strive to be like you. Let us, let us long to have the attitude that you had. Lord, help us, Lord, to take on the same humble attitude which, which we can lay claim to because we are in you. It's ours. We have all the resources, Lord, that, that we need. Let us, Lord, be servants to each other. Uh, Lord, we exalt you. We praise your name. We give glory to you. You are high above all else. You have the name above all names, Lord. And so we, we pray, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. Amen.